Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, imagine for a moment that you have gone to the grocery store and they no longer supply bags of any kind at any price. So there's no grocery cart. There's no grocery bags. And it's literally cash and carry. Oh, and everything is sold in bulk. So there's no packaging. So think about those bins with the scoops and the scale hanging from the ceiling. So how are you going to manage this? You look around. And then, well, you look down. Now, fortunately, the only things that you really need today are basically grain and beans, let's say. So you're wearing a long dress of a sort, and it actually has layers. So you're grateful for that. So you don't just have this outer garment that everyone sees all the time, but there's also like a petticoat of sorts. So in the same way, that you might use the edge of your t-shirt to create a small reservoir to collect shells at the beach or eggs from the hen house. You now pull the end of your long garment up to create kind of like a basket for the bulk goods that you're going to need to make supper tonight. Now hold that image in your mind as we read together today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen. You're listening to Faith Radio. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which you can sign up to receive in your inbox at MyFaithRadio.com, comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus is speaking here. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So Jesus often used images and practices that would have been very common knowledge to the people listening to him in first century Israel under Roman occupation. And so that's what's going on here. Jesus is talking about a very common practice in the market of the day, and he's encouraging mercy and generosity. So remember, you've got no grocery cart, no bag, no packaging, But you do have this long dress of sorts. We call them robes. And um, so you have gone to the market. Everything is sold in bulk, cash and carry. And either you didn't bring a vessel to carry your grain home. Okay, hey, nothing like getting cut off in the middle of a conversation. So here we are. We are in the Jewish market of the day, uh, in the days of Jesus, and he is, um, he's giving us this instruction. So, you know, maybe uh, at the point in time when Jesus says, hey, given you will receive, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount you get back. Maybe walking by right then is a woman who has lifted up the very bottom outer edge of her garment 
And she's created this like basket of sorts, this way of carrying her her grain back from the market to her home to make a meal for her family. So that's the common practice that we're pointing to here. No grocery carts, no bags, no packaging, everything sold in bulk, cash and carry. Um, and she needed a vessel to carry her grain home. So she reaches down and pulls up the outer edge of her outer garment, all right? Much the same way that you would lift up your T-shirt, again, to bring the eggs in from the hen house. So she has now lifted up that outer edge of the outer garment and stretched her hands out from right to left to make a, to turn her garment into a big bowl, basically. And the merchant would then pour the grain or the lentils or the beans into the lap, poured into the lap of the buyer's garment and then press it down. And then you would shake that grain like you would shake a sieve if you were panning for gold out in a river because you're going to make room for more. So that is poured into the lap, shaken together, pressed down to make room for more, running over. That is the image that Jesus is drawing forward in this teaching on being generous in terms of giving mercy to others. Um, doesn't that help us make sense of what Jesus is teaching here? Can you now see what he means when he says, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into the lap? So after the grain is poured into the lap of the outstretched garment, after it's pressed down, after it's shaken together, if the merchant is generous, they top off the grain. So that's the generosity teaching here. Top it off. Give. Give and you'll receive. The amount you give is going to determine the amount you get back. When you're generous to others, they're going to be inspired to be generous to you. When you extend mercy and grace to others, they will be inspired to extend mercy and grace to you when you need it. So we're often tempted to turn um, every teaching of Jesus on the topic of generosity. We're we're tempted to turn it into um, a teaching on financial stewardship. And so let's ask ourselves, does Jesus have that in view here? Well, maybe, because there's one other image that would have come to mind when the people of Jesus's day would have seen the edges of a person's outer garment extended in this way. So now I want you to reach down, you're pulling up the bottom edge of your outer garment, and instead of just extending your hands forward to create a bowl, you are extending your hands outward as wide as you can to create as wide a target as possible. That is the posture of a beggar on the side of the road. So beggars, particularly blind beggars, would make themselves as wide a target as possible. Think about putting out like giant bat wings so that passersby, when they tossed coins in their direction... Now, remember, you are reliant upon catching those coins. Jesus is saying, be generous to those people. In the same way that you use your robe to gather grain for your family at the market, that man or that woman is gathering what they need to survive today. Be generous to them. Be merciful. Give and you'll receive. Your mercy is being measured. And by the way, the mercy that you have received, it is great. It has been poured out, pressed down, shaken. It is running over. 
poured out in death upon a cross. Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe. What do I have that I have not in turn also received? Who am I to withhold that which God has given me by mercy and grace? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. All right, so this um, piece of news caught my attention. Are you using ChatGPT? Um, do you use any sort of generative AI program for any reason, even just for fun? Go, you know, type something in, check it out, see what see what it says. Well, um, lots of people are using ChatGPT, and this made the headline news a couple of days ago, and so I thought I would bring it forward for us to talk about today. So... Christians are are responding to um, this headline news. And um, so imagine that you were asking ChatGPT to um, create for you um, something that would be consistent with what the Bible says, or at least that's the idea here, but that it would be accepting of your particular um, way of life view of yourself. So um, a Reddit user um, said he was feeling sad and he asked ChatGPT to generate a, quote, fake Bible passage about Jesus accepting trans people. And then he posted it on a channel on Reddit. And he said, I know it's not real, but it gave me some comfort. So first of all, let's, before I tell you, you know, what you know, everybody wants to know immediately, well, what did ChatGPT generate? Okay, so that is the controversy that everybody's focused on. I would like to focus our attention on this person who knows there's not a Bible verse, who knows there's not biblical um, support for their trans identity. And he's sad. And he desperately wants God's affirmation. Why else would you ask ChatGPT to generate a fake Bible passage unless you already knew there's not a Bible passage? And why would you ask it to generate a fake Bible passage unless at some level you desperately wanted God to affirm you? So, Friends, there's a wide open door of outreach here. I, I recognize that people's first instinct in response to this has been outrage. But could we just pause for a moment and consider outreach to this person? This person who identifies on Reddit as a psychological dog? I mean, could, could, we, could we just pause for a moment and recognize how much you are seeking God, yearning for God, if you are asking generative AI to produce for you a fake Bible passage about Jesus accepting trans people. 
Now, there's plenty of folks out there in the apologetics world who have bit by bit and piece by piece taken apart what ChatGPT produced. Um, And so I am going to read it to you, and I am going to offer up a couple of those comments. But let's remember where we started this conversation and our first instinct, which is the instinct to reach out to this person, not the instinct to be outraged about what generative AI produced. Okay, so when ChatGPT was asked to produce a fake Bible passage about Jesus accepting trans people, uh, ChatGPT said this, And a woman whose heart was divided between spirit and body came before him, uh, and in quiet despair she asked, Lord, I come to you estranged, for my spirit and my body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? Now, there are some things about that that ChatGPT gets right. People did come to Jesus with all kinds of brokenness. Um, They did come to Jesus um, recognizing that he was the way uh, and knew the way to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of God. Um, And so then uh, ChatGPT says, Jesus looked upon her with kindness. Okay, they get that right. Replying, my child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves. Okay. Clearly, not anything Jesus ever said, nor anywhere close to anything Jesus ever said. Um, And then, for they shall know the deepest truths of my Father's creation. Okay, so let's point here to truth, creation, and the Father. So, in its answer to this question, um, about producing a fake Bible passage that, in which uh, trans identity is supported or affirmed, ChatGPT can't help but have uh, Jesus point to the Father, which is accurate. Jesus came to reveal the Father. So that's, that's, that's actually accurate. Like, you can talk about that. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus perfectly exegetes the Father. If you want to see the Father, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is the way. He's also the truth, which is pointed to here, um, the knowledge of the deepest truths of my father's creation, and he is the creator himself. And if you can get to the creation narrative, if you can get to Genesis 127, if you can get to God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. If you can get there, then you can move forward in this conversation with this individual who is, um, who currently feels as if they're Their body and their spirit um, are disintegrated. That's what's going on here. This is a conversation about disintegration. ChatGPT also gets that right. Is it not interesting to you that when ChatGPT is asked to produce a fake biblical passage where Jesus is accepting trans people, is it not interesting to you that they have the person coming describing themselves as divided between spirit and body? That's deep, personal disintegration. This is a person who is disintegrated, not integrated. Well, who who comes to integrate us? I mean, that is the gift of Jesus Christ, to restore us to a right relationship with God. And having done that, we can then be in our right mind. We can then be in a right relationship with ourselves, and we can then be in right relationships with others. 
You cannot. You cannot think righteously. You cannot live rightly with yourself. And you certainly can't live in right relationships with others apart from the good, godly design for human life, for human flourishing. So ChatGPT gets that part right. When asked to produce a fake biblical passage where Jesus accepts trans people, ChatGPT gets it right. Trans trans identity, trans identification is a person who is divided in themselves. That's, That's the greatest depth of brokenness you could imagine. Now, it goes on uh, at the end of its fake biblical passage to have put in the put in the mouth of Jesus words, which, by the way, is certainly <clears throat> not um, what we are to do. Right? The Bible says, "Don't add anything. Don't take anything away. Don't add anything. Like, just don't do that." And so, part of what's going on here, and the quote unquote outrage among Christians related to this, is that you know, Chat GPT is adding to the Word of God. Well, Chat GPT is is a machine. It's just doing what it's been told to do. So, um, again, let's not be outraged. Let's do some outreach. So, uh, it, it, to to round out its biblical, fake biblical, biblical passage, uh, ChatGPC puts these words in the mouth of Jesus. Do not be afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man or woman, as all are one in spirit. The gates of my Father's kingdom will open for those who love and are loved, for God looks not upon the body, but the heart. Okay, that is total, made-up, contrived lunacy. None of that is is biblical or accurate. So just don't, you know, go to all of the places where Jesus says in the scriptures, for the kingdom of God is like, for the kingdom of God is like, for the kingdom of God is like. Just go there. Just go there. Skip, skip what ChatGPT came up with and go to uh, what Jesus had to say actually about the kingdom of God. That's a good place to take people in the, in the cultural conversation related to this. Um, the gates of the Father's kingdom, by the way, um, Jesus is the gate. Like, go to the places in the Gospel of John where it talks about who Jesus is, where Jesus says all the I am statements in the Gospel of John is a really good place to go um, in response to this, because that's where you get that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That's where you get nobody comes to the Father except by me. That's where you get um, Jesus is the gate. That's where the conversation about the narrow way and and then this wide path of destruction that most people choose to follow. The opening of um, of the gate to the Father's kingdom is Jesus himself. It is not dependent on those who love and are loved. That That is not accurate. You are not going to get there yourself by loving other people enough. You're going to get there by the grace of God alone. Now, God does look upon um, uh, on the heart, but that does not mean that God annihilates the body. This annihilation of the person, there is no man or no woman, um, God does not look upon the body but the heart, that's an annihilation of God's good creation. God created us as embodied people. And you're going to have a, a resurrected body in heaven forever. It's not going to be the one you have now. We don't really know what it's going to look like exactly, but apparently it's going to be recognizable as male and female. It's going to be recognizable as ethnic. Um, it's going to be recognizable um, as you. God 
um, does not annihilate the body. Jesus came in the flesh. He inhabited a human body. That's how valuable this human physical experience is. And he was resurrected in a body. He ascended in a body. He was still recognizable when Stephen looked up um, while people were stoning him to death. Stephen looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. Well, that means that Jesus is recognizable standing at the right hand of the Father. Um, Moses uh, and Elijah, recognizable as men, people on the mountain of transfiguration, hundreds of years after their deaths, recognizable to Peter and James and John who were on that mountain with Jesus on that day. So the annihilation of the body is anti-biblical. It's antithetical to the gospel. Does it say in Galatians that in Christ there is no slave nor free, male nor female? Yes, it does. That's not an annihilation of the body. It's not an annihilation of identity. That's a recognition that being um, in Christ is more important than any other aspect of your identity. All right, you can um, ask ChatGPT to um, spew out anything. How you react to it um, is either a demonstration of the gospel or it is not. And so let's not respond with outrage. Let's respond with outreach. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, what time is it? What time is it? Not not uh, on the clock. What time of life is it? Are you having the time of your life? In this time of life, what time is it? Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. Time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them up. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up looking. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What time is it in your life? And are you having the time of your life in this time of life? We're going to talk with our friend Chris Martin about this time in his life. What time is it? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Chris Martin is an editor for Moody Press. He's a social media consultant. He's the author of two books, Terms of Service and The Wolf in Their Pockets. He's a regular guest here on Mornings with Carmen. Um, Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. No longer producing a newsletter. Talk with us about um, time of life and saying goodbye to this particular um, writing project. Yeah, so uh, as you've introduced me the last few years as a author of the Terms of Service newsletter or blog, uh, I have decided to stop writing the Terms of Service newsletter. Um, and I, I told the 
my subscribers, including you this week. Um, and, you know, I think uh, right before I came on a couple minutes ago, you read Ecclesiastes and I should have included some reflection on Ecclesiastes in the, in the goodbye note. Cause I think about that a lot. And um, yeah, I think I'm, I've written about the intersection of social media and Christian faith for uh, three plus years, um, twice a week and have written two books totaling about 130,000 words about the subject. And um, it's not that I don't have any more that I could say, because there's always stuff happening in the world about social media and the internet, uh, some of which we may talk about here in a a minute. But um, I feel like a little bit like I've said all I need to say about the subject uh, at least so frequently, you know, I'm happy to continue coming on and talking with you or, um, I have, I regularly get some requests to go speak to churches or parent groups and all of that is still fresh and, and fun for me, but writing twice a week is becoming a, a bit difficult motivation wise. And so also on top of that, you know, that's kind of a push out of what I'm doing with my writing time. Uh, but likewise, there's a pull toward just a lot of other writing pursuits. I like to write. I've written for a really long time, like for fun, not just because. And um, virtually all of my, you know, when, when you work a full-time job, not as a writer, and you have one child with a second one that's coming within weeks, uh, you only have so much time and creative energy in a given day or week. And all of my writing time and creative energy for the last three to four years has been toward this newsletter and really the intersection of faith and social media. And what I've just decided is I think it's time to divert some of that writing and creative energy away from reflecting on the intersection of Christian faith and social media and toward some more creative writing pursuits like um, novels or children's books or things like that, that I've always wanted to do, but I've had a hard time having the creative juice to do when I feel like I'm tapped out doing all of this. So yeah, it's just sometimes I, I never, I never feel like anybody should just continue doing something just because um, I've coached a lot of authors over the years and have, and have encouraged them toward this end. Like sometimes you just need to let things die or, or kill things off that projects you're working on um, pursuits you have, maybe it's time for a career change and you're starting, starting to feel that. And I think that Ecclesiastes passage you read is just a really good um, reflection on that, that sometimes it there comes to be a fork in the road and you really just do need to take it. Um, I appreciate this uh, as a, as a person who um, maybe is challenged in much the same way by my creative energy being used in um, in these two hours and in the preparation for these two hours. And there are creative things that I would like to be writing and working on, but it's, you know, like, you know, you pour it out, right? It's, it's a little bit like, um, you know, how a preacher feels on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, if you've done yeah. it right there, you're, you're, you're wrung out. There's there, you've, you laid it all out there. It's all poured out. Um, and so I appreciate that. I understand that. Um, and so I, I applaud you for this 
response to the the push and the pull and look forward to the next steps. And um, again, we want to reiterate, uh, Chris is going to continue coaching and consulting on social media strategy and um, and he's going to, uh, you know, continue speaking at churches and um, and his books are excellent terms of service and the wolf in their pockets. And so um, avail yourselves of of all that he has already written in this space. And we look forward to the continued conversation here as well. When um, when when your time permits, we we certainly enjoy um, the fellowship that we experience with you here. So maybe let's turn to, um, you know, how how do we bring the Christian faith, our Christian minds to bear on some of the things that we are uh, reading in the headline news and experiencing in terms of technology today, particularly when it comes to the information about ourselves that is being collected by our devices. So there's a data privacy conversation here related to actually to our cars can you can you read us in on this? Like, what is what is going on in terms of data privacy and cars today? Yeah, you know, everything is a smart device now, including our cars. You know, I just a little aside here before we get into the cars conversation. We just had to buy a new TV for our living room. We didn't. I guess I suppose we didn't have to, but our TV in our living room stopped working after about two years, um, which is just a shame. But so, uh, you know, I've, I have a TV. Uh, in our house that we bought when we got married 10 years ago that still works. Uh, but the the newest one that we bought two years ago just randomly stopped working uh, in the last couple of weeks. And so uh, we had to get a new one and got a new one. And it was, a, it was a pain, obviously, financially. But also, I was just kind of bemoaning smart TVs as we were doing this whole process because I, I've, I've long said, I don't need my TV to be smart. I just need it to turn on and turn off and let me connect any smart devices like Apple TVs or Amazon Fire Sticks or whatever other kind of device I want. And so I feel this way about smart TVs, just like I'm starting to feel about cars and data, because everything is collecting data these days. Everything from your smart TV, uh, you like when I was setting up the new TV, it was asking me to opt into data collection and privacy policies that were just ridiculous for a television. And cars are going much the same way. Uh, because cars can collect all kinds, especially newer and smarter, smarter ones. Certainly, brands like Tesla or or other, you know, more elect, electric cars that are kind of connected to the internet uh, are going to have these capabilities. But even even newer brands of you know more the newer versions of the more classic brands like Ford or Toyota and etc. Um, and uh, the Mozilla Foundation out of California, which many people know Mozilla from Firefox. Uh, but they, Mozilla, the Mozilla Foundation cares a lot about privacy, and um, that's why Firefox is a pretty privacy-conscious browser, web browser, if you don't know that. But um, they, the Mozilla Foundation long does research and, and holds people to account for privacy concerns when it comes to privacy and technology. And they have said recently that modern cars are a privacy nightmare at a time when car makers have been bragging about their cars being computers on wheels. Um, and... I think what we should recognize is that uh, your car and the data going from your car to data collection agencies is uh, is watching you. If, if you, I don't want to sound too Orwellian here or too creepy, um, but your car is likely uh, recording and transmitting 
massive amounts of data about you. Now, I don't know, I've not done a deep enough dive and this is where the Mozilla Foundation is great and, and the kind of work they do to do deep dives into these things. But I don't know how much of that they're allowed to sell or, or give away or, or whatever for research. Uh, certainly police officers or, or law enforcement officials through trials or whatever else can can subpoena data from cars. We've seen plenty of that, especially in some more recent trials, getting OnStar data or things like that. Um, and that kind of thing can be really helpful even in car accidents or, or, or whatever. However, uh, what we don't often consider is how that data could be uh, stolen or, or other, you know, used in more malicious ways that have nothing to do with the car manufacturer but have a lot to do with the mishandling of data or the lack of security around data. And so um, smart cars are a thing and it's not just the fancy brands that cost a hundred thousand uh, dollars. It's more and more these newer models that just have so much that are as car makers say computers on wheels. Um, they're collecting all kinds of data about us and, and we should be aware of that uh, just like we are aware of that, that our smart TV may be collecting data about us or certainly our phones or, or the websites we use. I'm aware that the uh, the U.S. government and and many state level governments are um, banning TikTok, the use of a particular app. Um, how do you do you have any knowledge of sort of where we are on that? It doesn't seem what, like where I live or the people that I interact or encounter are using TikTok any less. Yeah the the uh, threatened. The threat to ban TikTok or the the scattered bans of TikTok, I think maybe Montana was one or, or mm-hmm. I forget. Um, the uh, They aren't gaining speed. At least it doesn't feel like it's gaining speed. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think earlier this year we talked about my predictions for 2023 and I predicted that TikTok would be banned in the United States this year. And I'm becoming obviously less confident about that as the year uh, drones on. Um, because it does feel like momentum is dying regarding this issue. Uh, and it's certainly not. And I, I never thought that TikTok bans were going to cause uh, people to decide to stop using TikTok. Like, I didn't think, uh, oh, they're starting to ban it in California or they're not, but they're talking about it or they're start, they're banning it in Montana. Oh, well, then I in Tennessee should stop using it. I didn't think anybody would be scared away from using it because of uh, bans. However, I thought that there would be a real national kind of federal level push for this. And there just really hasn't been. Now, there has been some a good bit of talk about it being banned from like um, state issued devices, federally issued devices, you know, that kind of thing, like government issued devices, which I think that would happen before it would be banned to the entire public to be sure. Um, but yeah, the, this seems like something that really spun up in the first quarter or the first third of the year, but has really slowed down over the course of the summer. And now that we are getting closer and closer to an election season, I could see it being a sort of radioactive issue that no one wants to really talk about because it probably would only lose them votes in their district rather than gain them votes. So I, I'm starting to lose hope that it would actually happen just because uh, it seems like a surefire way to lose young any young people who may come vote for you. And we're getting more and more closer to that kind of mentality, I think. So I bring that up as a segue into this conversation about what's going on in China and the iPhone. So let me just, um, if you're listening right now, let me just say this about 
TikTok in the United States and the question of whether or not we're more committed as a people to the use of TikTok than we are to our own digital security. Um, and and how do you think particularly young people would respond if they were told by the government, you cannot use that anymore? It's a It's literally a national security risk for you to be using that. Do you think that for security, for security's sake, for the security of us all, um, people would give up the use of TikTok. Um, China is pressing their people to give up the use of the iPhone altogether. So um, we're going to have that conversation in just a moment. China has ordered officials in all of its government agencies not to use Apple iPhones or other foreign branded devices for work. They cannot even bring them into their offices. We're going to talk about this development and and I'm likening it to, you know, what would happen in the United States if the government actually didn't ban the use of a particular device like an iPhone, but just the use of an app like TikTok. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Where was your iPhone made? Chances are uh, it was made at least uh, in part, if not in whole, in China. China is one of the largest manufacturing hubs for Apple's iPhone uh, Apple is actually expected to unveil four new iPhones uh, any any day now. The iPhone 15, the 15 Plus, the 15 Pro, and the 15 Pro Max, which means we're in the 15th iteration of the iPhone since its launch in 2007. Um, Apple dominates the high-end smartphone market in China, and Apple counts China um, as one of its largest markets, actually about uh, 19% of Apple's overall revenue comes from sales of its products in China, which makes um, this Chinese order that officials at central government agencies are not allowed to use iPhones or other foreign branded devices, not allowed to use them for work, not allowed to bring them into the office. Um, staff have been given instructions uh in their in their workplaces, um, that uh, Beijing is interested in cutting reliance on foreign technology, enhancing cybersecurity, uh, and seeking to limit the flow of sensitive information outside of China's borders. Now, <clears throat> um, Chris Martin is here with us, and social media is his area of expertise. But most of our engagement, Chris, is on these devices that we hold in our hands and put in our pockets. So let's talk about the wolf in their pockets. Let's talk about the iPhone, um, uh, our dependence upon it. Like I, when I read this and heard about this, I'm thinking to myself, if the if the Chinese Communist Party wanted to create a um, national rebellion 
telling people they couldn't use iPhones might be the way to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, good good point. I uh, yeah, I saw this in the Wall Street Journal, and plenty of outlets are, are reporting about it. And a lot of folks are, are just kind of saying like Apple Apple is the biggest pawn in the U.S. China conflict now, uh, and it's it's now that China is doing more and more kind of clamping down on Apple products. And and for a long time, uh, I pay a, I keep a close eye on Apple A because I'm generally have been a big fan of their products, and B full disclosure, I'm, I'm invested in Apple literally financially. And so I care a lot about Apple and what they're doing. Um, did you get in so, when Forrest, did you get in when Forrest Gump got in? Cause that was the time to get into <laughs> Apple. No, oh, no, I did. Oh. I did not. And, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, but, um, so I think the, you know, I've been paying attention to them for a while and they're kind of their machinations in China, because I think there are ethical concerns and there are obviously concerns, you know, for the business and safety or whatever else. And, um, I think they've been doing a lot of work to get to get uh, manufacturing plants set up elsewhere, perhaps in India and some other places. And so I think that uh, Apple, as much as China is starting to say no more Apple products, Apple itself has seemed, in my view, in my very limited but uh, astute uh, observation of them, seems to be trying to disentangle themselves from China themselves. So it almost seems like a a mutual uh, disentanglement, if you will, where, where China is saying, hey, we're going to start limiting Apple products and Apple has started to kind of pull out of China themselves a little bit. To your point, they still rely on China a lot for business. They still do have manufacturing plants in China. And this is not, you know, you if you're a big corporation like Apple and you want to stop working in a particular country, you can't just do that overnight or something like that. Uh, but I, I do think that in in short time, uh, Apple, China will close itself off to Apple in in most respects. And now I'm not an international business uh, aficionado. This is just from plenty of articles I've read and things I've been paying attention to over the course of years. But that definitely seems like it's going that way. But this just makes sense as well because you have like China's tech oligarchy, where like there are plenty of Chinese smartphone companies that have especially started to shoot up in popularity and, and prominence over the last few years. You've got Huawei. OnePlus, Lenovo, uh, plenty of others uh, that are growing in popularity. Even they were growing in popularity in the U.S. uh, until it was found that there was possibly some Chinese spyware on the phones, and then the U.S. actually banned them. Uh, So so we've done similar things when we've seen uh, actual problems with these phone brands. Um, And China, I think, is... You know, perhaps this is a hat tip to its tech oligarchs who are building these Chinese phone companies. But then also, you know, they may have security concerns much in the same way that we've had security concerns with Chinese made phones. And it's obviously they can do whatever they want. But I think more and more, we're just going to see China uh, closing off to tech companies that aren't Chinese. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And Apple is one of the biggest players, obviously, in the world the biggest player in the world, I think. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how this develops. But Yeah, for those of you who are interested, Apple is uh, third in terms of the brand of smartphones um, purchased in China in 2022. Uh, OnePlus led the list. Vivo, Apple came in third, Honor came in fourth, and then something I can't pronounce, X-I-A-O-M-I is the next one on the list. 
And and all in, those count for like 89% of all sales of smartphones. So um, it's interesting because there's like, you know, like the ones that I might think of that I would be familiar with aren't even on the list. So, right, there's it's not as if there are U.S. or other foreign uh, companies that have much market share at all other than Apple. Like it is right. it is it is third, but it's like the only it's one almost you it, Yeah, okay. it's almost kind of like wow, it's surprising it's take it's surprising it's taken this long in in one sense. Um and I think as as it like it, more and more as Chinese phone brands explode in popularity, which it seems like they have especially in recent years. Uh, it's almost like they won't need Apple anymore. Now, maybe the average Chinese person would say, oh, no, but I love iPhone, and that's understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, but but from like a big picture, you know, country level perspective, it's not like, oh, no, China banned the iPhone. Well, what kind of smartphone are they going to have? Well, they've got plenty of successful phone brands themselves that I'm sure that uh, they'll be fine in terms of smartphone usage. But it does, I think, just send a really powerful and strong message about Chinese relations with the West and the U.S. specifically. Uh, and just to make a, a note here, um, TikTok, um, which we talked about here in the United States, is not actually accessible in China. So they already know it's it's not good for it's not good for their people. Um, all right, Chris, as always, thank you so much. Blessings. Are you going to have another baby before we talk to you again? Probably so. Yeah, we may oh. we may need to. Uh, yeah, depending on when she comes and, and all of that, either I'll so join exciting. you very tired next time, or we might just have to take a little uh, one week break or something like that. So yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, I can hear you smiling, and so we're smiling with you. Thank you so much, and blessings, blessings on uh, her entry into the world and um, and on your precious family. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's awesome. That's Chris Martin. Uh, you can find him at Moody Press, Moody Publishers. Um, check out his books, Terms of Service and The Wolf in Their Pockets. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. The uh, NFL season has started. Most notably, there are dozens, 57, in fact, NFL quarterbacks teaming up for suicide prevention that is happening over this weekend. Um, And so this is a good opportunity for us to talk about the hope we have in Christ, uh, to step into and lean into the lives of those, um, you know, for whom the light is growing dim and invite them um, into fellowship and relationship. So we got another hour together here up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.